The fear of not being good enough. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about already. You're probably avoiding social media for your business because you're worried about how people will judge you. But you also know you have to talk about your business if you want your business to be successful. If that's you, you're in the right place. What if you allowed yourself to give up the struggle for perfection? What if you really are good enough already? Join me as I talk to entrepreneurs who are working through their fear and imposter syndrome, getting out there and talking about their business and giving us a flossom social media presence. You can do this too. We're going to show you how. I'm your host, Anita Kirkbride. Welcome to Be Flossom, the Good Enough Podcast. Today, my guest is Heather DeVoe of Heather DeVoe Instructional Design. Heather helps entrepreneurs create better online courses fast because who has time for slow? Definitely not entrepreneurs. We don't have time for slow. Welcome, <laughs> Heather. I'm so excited to talk to you today about all this stuff. Thanks, Anita. Thanks for having me. Okay, first of all, for somebody who doesn't know, what is instructional design? And then tell me how somebody who started out as a medical and dental office administration instructor (laughs) gets from there to instructional design for entrepreneurs. Yeah, great question. So instructional design is a $10 word for education (laughs) creator. So instructional designers are the people who look at the learning journey for education curriculum, online courses, in-person courses, workshops, whatever it might be. And the instructional design lens is all about making sure that your content does what you said it was going to do. And so from an academic perspective, instructional design is loaded and I hate it. So I have brought it into the entrepreneurial world where I keep it really light. I keep it really action biased. And I teach entrepreneurs how to sort of tap into my 20 years of experience doing that kind of thing in the world so that they don't need to know all the $10 words. That's how I've really applied that. To answer your question about my background, I actually started teaching back in 2000 when I was a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. I was a medic, actually. And from there, I went on and did a bunch of other things in education. I taught adults reading and literacy skills. I was a first aid instructor. I did volunteering with some organizations. And when I moved back to the city in 2005, I completed a secretary diploma. So medical office administration secretary diploma in 2005. And I hated it. And I was like, I can't, I can't be a secretary. Like number one, I'm the world's worst employee. And number two, I definitely can't be someone's assistant. And so I found some opportunities to teach because I had all this experience teaching with the military and with first aid and in community organizations. And so my boss at the time was actually looking for somebody to start developing programming for him. And I was just there doing data entry and basic admin sort of tasks. And I had an interview at another college across the way in Halifax when I was living in Dartmouth. And he was like, you can teach that? And I kind of giggled and and I said, well, they think I can. They've asked me to come in for an interview. (laughs) And I never made it to the interview. He offered me a job right on the spot. And I spent the next three years developing curriculum for his college instead. And that's how I get into the education game pretty seriously. And then I went back to school to get my master's of adult education and worked at a startup running their training department, ran a training school that taught people how to do coding. 
And that folded. And then when that folded, I was like, to hell with this. I'm just going to go into business for myself. And so I started out freelancing as a freelance writer. And my very first paid project was actually creating a course for a client in the States. And then I sort of fumbled my way through entrepreneurship for a while and landed on my feet in 2020 when the pandemic hit. And I saw all of my entrepreneurial friends struggling with their service-based businesses, not knowing what to do. Everybody loves a great workshop on the weekend in a fire hall somewhere, and they couldn't do that anymore. And so I broke down the business I was running, which at the time was general business coaching. And I built it back up as Heather Devoe Instructional Design. And literally the rest is history. It's just been going gangbuster ever since. Well, if you had set out as somebody in the military doing the medic training and so on and said, someday I'm going to be doing this and here's how I'm going to get there. You couldn't have planned it any better, really. No, I know. And I love it. I love my story because when you count it backwards, it all makes perfect sense. Each step I took led me closer to this step. And my dirty little secret was always that I wanted to be a business owner. I was not a great employee. I really struggled with corporate and I have an authority issue where like, I think I'm smarter than everybody. And so that really (laughs) puts me at odds with my employer. And, you know, really the tide changed for me when I did my master's degree because I did a self-reflection piece on why did I keep quitting? Why couldn't I follow through with things? Why was I changing jobs like the wind and weather changes? And in doing that self-study, I discovered that I didn't like hard things, which sounds very simple, but it was really transformational for me as someone who wanted to have my own business and to be successful in my own way and to make my own way in the world. When things got hard, I really tapped out and went just looking for the other thing. And I love the momentum of startup and I'm not built for maintenance. And in doing that master's degree, it really solidified for me that maintenance is where the growth happens. And if I'm ever going to do this thing, I need to recognize where I quit and I need to put some backstops in place for myself to be able to keep going. And so when I went back and I studied, you know, 15 years of my life, looking at why did I move around so much and why couldn't I finish things? I learned a lot about myself and was able to put that into practice. And then it just made me a better entrepreneur and it made me a better person, a better mother, a better wife. And now I get it. I see it like plain as day when I work with my clients. I'm like, you're going to tap out. I can see it. I can smell it through the computer that you're going to tap out. And here's what I can do to help you not do that. And so it's been very interesting, but no, I I couldn't have painted the picture. And when I look back at it, I'm amazed that it all kind of worked out the way it did because the steps seemed to go together quite naturally. But at the time, it didn't feel like that, certainly. And that realization that you don't like to do hard things and you don't like the maintenance part of stuff, how did that inform your decision? You recently expanded your team or Mm -hmm. created a team, as my understanding. How did that inform your decision to build a team instead of staying a solopreneur? Yeah, great question, Anita. So it was one moment in time when I made the decision and I'll never forget it. I was working with a business coach and I happened to be in Prince Edward Island at the time. And so I was visiting my business coach and I was saying how, yeah, I'm never going to have a team. It's always just going to be me. And I had read this book called Company of One by Paul Jarvis, which is a great book. I was drinking that Kool-Aid pretty heavily at the time, thinking about, you know, just wanting to be a solopreneur and knowing that I don't like to manage things, I don't wanna manage people. And I just had all these thoughts about, I'm not good at that and I don't wanna have to learn how to do it. And she challenged me and she was like, 
you know, what is that thought about? Why, why would you think you're not good at it? You probably have evidence of being really good at that. And I think you'd be great at it and you should let yourself consider it. And it was just that very simple thought. And it was like, could you let yourself consider it? And I said, yeah, okay. So then two interesting things happened. One was I have been carrying around this thought for years that I actually do want to have a team and I actually want to have a shingle hanging and I actually want to have a giant international company and I actually want to make millions of dollars. But the second thought was you're from a small town where people struggle. And if you do that, they're going to throw stones at you. So just don't shine bright. And so I had those two thoughts all the time of like, I could be bigger than what I'm doing. I could be more successful than where I'm at. I could be the person that I think I am. However, there's this underlying story of people here don't do that. Mm -hmm. And when she challenged me about that and she was like, but you know, what if you could, it was so simple. And it, it was amazing to me because I was like, all right, lift the veil, see it for what it is, be really honest about what it is that I want. And as soon as I did that, I could see it very clearly and I couldn't see the people's faces, but I could immediately see people around me. And I just got to work creating it. And so that was in November. And in January, I hired my first person. The end of January, I hired my second person. And the middle of February, I hired my third person. And so we've been working together as a team now for a few months. And it's just indicative of how I work. It's when I can see it in my mind's eye. And if I let myself imagine it, I can create it. And that's something I have to constantly remind myself of is that like I'm powerful beyond belief. And if I just let myself do it, it will be a thing in the world. And I tend to claw back because, you know, I have this story around, I quit for so many years, nothing's ever going to work out. People don't make it from small towns. And yet I'm doing all of that because I just keep challenging and I keep working with people who challenge me and it's very uncomfortable and I don't like it, but I paid good money to be challenged because I know I'm capable of it. I just need that little push and that reminder. Yeah. Well, you're making me uncomfortable because everything you just said about, you know, I'm going to be a solopreneur forever. I probably should go read that book. I'm going to be a solopreneur forever. I don't want to have a team. I don't want to manage people. I'm not good at managing people. Like that's the kind of stuff that I have been saying about twerp for 11 years now. Yeah. Right. Now I'm thinking, oh dear, maybe I should not go to a business coach because <laughs> they will the push you. That they will push you, and that's scary for people, right? That's, yeah, that's it is. Scary. It is scary, and it you know I get that question a lot because I do a lot of big things and I move very quickly, and the speed with which I do things makes people uncomfortable. Period. Most people take a very long time to make a decision about something, but I'm an information hoarder, so. If as long as I have information that I can make a decision with, I don't need any more information. So I stop looking once I have enough to start taking action. And when somebody challenges me with something like that, that's information that I can use because I have the skills to be able to look at that and reflect on it and say, well, that's been true up to this point, but it doesn't continue to have to be true. Mm -hmm. And I can make a different decision. And the thing that I will say about that feeling, Anita, is that the challenge is to ask yourself, is that really what you believe? Or is that just what you've been told that being solo is better? Running a small business is better. Being agile is better. And the other thought that I had all through this process was I don't have to build a company like everybody else. And that was the thing that scared me was becoming the bosses I hated and just building up a brick and mortar for the sake of building up a brick and mortar. And so I did it all my own way. And my employees are are fantastic. They all happen to be people that I've known from other lives that I've lived. And I couldn't see their faces, but I knew 
I trusted myself enough to know that I would pick good people and that I would pick people who gave a shit and they would want to help me. And also knowing that if it didn't work out, that was okay too. That none of that meant I was bad at this. I'm just learning, right? I'm just learning. And so as an adult educator, I approach everything from the perspective of we'll figure it out. We might not figure it out today, but we'll figure it out. And as long as you're willing to take in that information, question whether you believe it or not, or is it just noise? And then decide what you're going to do with it. That's really how I approach everything. And the thing that people told me was it's going to be really hard. And it ended up being one of the easiest things I've ever done was to hire these three people because I just decided that if that was true of you, it didn't have to be true of me, that you were just making that mean it was difficult. The physical act of doing it was not difficult at all. There's so much in what you just said that fits the whole philosophy of being flossom so well. So first of all, you gave yourself grace to try something and be scared and do it anyway and yeah. be okay if it didn't work out because yeah. you'd learn from it, right? I try not to use the word failure mm. because I don't really believe that you fail at things. It mm -hmm. might not work out the way you thought it was going to, but you learn from mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So there was the whole thing of giving yourself the grace and the space to make that mistake or that learning journey. And I think that right there is what holds many entrepreneurs, especially women, back mm -hmm. from being really out there with their business. Like they've mm -hmm. got a business, but they don't want to get on social media and talk about it because heaven forbid, somebody should judge them in yeah. some way. I'm from a small town. I'm from Florenceville, New Brunswick. So yeah. I'm from a really small town too. And heaven forbid, somebody from my high school 35 years ago should hear what I'm doing and think I'm too big for my britches, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I hired one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my online business manager, Nancy, who I adore and love, we went to high school together and we were friends when we were kids. And I remember when she reached out and she was like, I'm interested in this job. And I thought about it. I told her, quite frankly, I don't know, man, like, I don't know, like, let's talk about it. I'll interview you. Let's just see what this could be because we're adults now. It's been a long time. And my business coach said, let people surprise and delight you and start the way you wish to proceed was the two pieces of advice. All the money I spent all last year, that was the two pieces of advice I got that was worth every penny. And she was right. It was, yeah, let them come in, let them into your world. Trust. You start at a hundred with me. You don't start at zero. You start at a hundred and then I start <laughs> demeriting all the way down. But it's been, I've always just given that to people. Like I trust you until I can't. And so I gave everybody the starting point of a hundred. And when I hired Nancy, I was like, and she said the same thing, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But it was that willingness to go on this journey together and figure that out together. And to have her own that with me and to be responsible for that with me was, was amazing. And my first thought, and I told her was, I don't know if I want someone from town working with me, like as open and honest as I am, I'm very guarded of my business. I'm, I'm very protective of it and I've worked really hard to build it and it couldn't have worked out better. You know, it's, it's been amazing. Hmm. So, okay, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about social yeah. media because obviously, yeah. you know, that's what I'm interested in. Tell me how does social media, how does it work in your organization? Who's in charge of social media for Heather DeVoe instructional design? Yeah. So it was me. I've been doing it all along. And then now Nancy looks after it. So she does all the graphics. She does all the content. She does all the posting. I do the interacting and the engaging. So I still own the accounts. Everything is, they're actually, they're business accounts, but they're more like 
business personal accounts. So that's the first thing I'll say is I don't keep my life out of my business accounts. They're mostly because I don't want to have to manage multiple accounts. I would forget to post on one of them for sure. But that's the rule of like, do it your own way, right? Like Mm -hmm. people will say you have to separate them, but my business is very much my life and my life is very much my business. And what I have in my business is because of the life I live and what I have in my life is because of the business I run. And so I, I do very freely and openly share about both sides of my life. But Nancy does all of that. And that was an interesting exercise in trust because suddenly somebody else was my voice and making decisions about what's going on here. And the interesting thing was Nancy came from home care. So she came from, she was a supervisor in residential care, helping people living with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And she had beyond personal Instagram or Facebook had never done business before. And I was like, all right, let's take a crack at it. And so I, I just taught her what I knew and what I knew is duct taped together from years of figuring it out on my own. And I handed it over to her and I trained her on what I do and how I do it. And because I've been doing business for so long and when they came on board, I was already running Heather and Devo Instructional Design for about a year and a half. I had mountains of content, mountains. Yeah. One of the things I had done was without even realizing it, I had planned out all my content every month, but I kept it in a spreadsheet. And by the time they came on board, my employees, I had 18 months of content in a spreadsheet. So she could just go through and update it and pick and choose it depending on the day. And we have a system where we, mm-hmm. we run, you know, newsletters on Monday, podcasts on Tuesday, blogs on Wednesday, like that kind of thing. Every morning when I wake up now, I'm like, what post is there today? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what am I talking about today, guys? <laughs> but the difference is the content is still you. Right? Yeah, it's all my words. It's all my yeah. writing. Yeah, she's just yeah. helping you schedule it so that the yeah, um... yeah, we found a nice balance of that. Yesterday, actually, we're doing some polling about my podcast. And we were in a team meeting and we were chatting about it. And my project manager said, why don't we poll Instagram and, and ask people about the podcast? And I was like, okay, Nancy, can you do that? And she just wrote this thing. And it was, it was me. And it was mm-hmm. the craziest thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, <laughs> great. And there's a lot of letting go that has to happen there. And, you know, we were chatting about like typos and mistakes and spacing. And there's certain things that I like a certain way, but I've had to just let go of all of that as she's learning this and be okay with it. Maybe it doesn't sound exactly like me right now, or there's things in there that I wouldn't have had normally, but giving her the space to figure that out so she can own it. Mm -hmm. And I don't expect her to become me. I'll never let go of the content. The content is my product. It is me. And just finding a way to work together. So so it's been really interesting, really fun, actually. Tell me about how you come up with ideas for your content. You had 18 months in a spreadsheet. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of content. And most businesses could have that much content, but they have trouble seeing it. So how do you yeah. figure out what your content is? I listen a lot. So somebody described my industry recently, I would say I'm in the course creation industry and I'm in the business of teaching entrepreneurs how to create online courses. And that industry is gross. That was the comment that I got. And I was like, oh, can I quote you? That is, you're a hundred percent right. It really is. It's Mm -hmm. gross because it's just slippery sales funnels and, you know, people trying to sell you $27 bullshit. And I'm like academic, you know, I'm like, I call myself a rogue academic because I understand what it is they're trying to do, but they're so focused on marketing. They're not creating those courses properly and people aren't getting the transformation that's being promised to them. And so I start from that place 
of how is the market not being served or how can I show up differently? And I walk a very fine line between not just focusing on the negative, but using the negative of like, listen, there's a better way. And the tagline is, you know, think big, move fast. It's all about like, don't get caught up in the noise, be you, do it your way. But here's the framework that's going to help you do that. And so I, I walk that line of, look, there's a lot going on over here in this space, but over here in this space, there's structure and there's systems and there's calm and there's know the next right step. Yeah, go ahead and sell it if you want to sell it, but you should know what you're selling and you should know what the promise is that you're giving to people minimum. You know, you don't have to have it all built out completely, but you should know those two things. And mm-hmm. when I think about showing up and talking about online courses, it's all about the problems my customers have. We're in the process of changing our core offering right now. And one of the things I said was, it's, it's not about the offer. It's not about the program. It's not about any of that. It's about what problem are we solving? Because the solution is the program, but the solution has changed over the last five years. I've had many iterations of business in the last five years. My audience has not changed. I have been serving entrepreneurs for five years And every time I look at them and I listen to their frustrations and I spend, all my friends are entrepreneurs and I have people in my life who will just listen to me talk about this stuff all the time. Thank God. And I happen to like the sound of my own voice. And so I will just keep talking until people are like, wait, what is going on over there? Why she won't shut up? What is going on over there? Because I believe that much in it. I believe I can make that much of an impact. And I've seen the impact my work makes and So when I think about that, I get really fired up about it. And creating content is all about offering solutions, but it's about knowing that problem. And I know my problem. I know my customer's problem better than anyone else in my space because everybody else is coming at it from a marketing perspective and I'm digging into the education side. And I hear it over and over and over again. People say to me, you say the same thing all the time. I'm like, I know I'm saying the same five things all the time. But you have to do it over and over again. And so from a content creation perspective, I used to buck against it's got to be new and fresh all the time. And the longer I do this, the more I realize, no, you need a stable of content. Not everybody sees everything. Don't assume they know anything and tell them, just tell them and be shameless about it. Like, here's how I can help. And here's what I offer. And here are all the problems my people have. And And those are the problems right now. And those problems will change over time too. And so we'll change to adapt it. But my my mission is always to help entrepreneurs. And when you know your customer base, the way I know my customer base, it's easy to show up and just talk to people and help them. Mm -hmm. So you said you love to hear the sound of your own voice, which is something (laughs) I have never heard somebody admit before. When I talk to (laughs) entrepreneurs, they're all like, I hate the sound of my voice. I I can't do video. I don't want to do a podcast because I don't like the sound of my own voice. So- One, how did you, were you always that way? And two, how did you get started with your podcast? Yeah. So no, I wasn't always that way, (laughs) but I wanted to be. And I was the kid in school who would volunteer to read the paper out loud because I knew I liked the attention and I liked being heard, but I didn't have an outlet for that. So I've always been one of those people who didn't fit in quite right And when I would talk, I always felt like people weren't listening to me. And so I would talk louder or I would repeat myself. And I have all these sort of, you know, trauma responses to not being seen in my younger years. 
But as I became an adult and I became aware that it was nobody's responsibility to listen to me, it was my responsibility to show up and share. And if it was important to someone, they would listen, but it, it doesn't have to be important to everybody. I would volunteer to speak. I took public speaking courses. My undergraduate degree is actually in English and communications. And I took course after course after course. And I stood on stages. I was the MC at events and I was terrible. And I have like a massive ego and I'm very arrogant, but I was like, I don't care that I'm bad. They let me be the MC. So I'm going to show up here and do it. And it just helped to boost my confidence. So every time I trip up or my tongue would feel too big for my mouth, I wouldn't worry about it. And so that's really the first thing is, no, I've always wanted to be that way, but it has taken me a long time to feel comfortable in how I speak and the words I use. I swear like a sailor and it makes people very uncomfortable, but that's who I am. I had a professor say to me in my second year of university, I was presenting a paper and I actually flew to Newfoundland to speak at a symposium and was so nervous because I hated the content, but was like, I have to practice this. I want to be on stage someday. My professor took me aside after my presentation and he said, if you keep talking like that with your dirty Cape Breton accent, if you keep talking like that, nobody's going to give you a job. And I remember thinking, that's fine. I don't want one anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But what I did was I comments like that. I heard my whole life. You're too loud. Your laugh is too loud. And you learn to shrink yourself. And I, I just kept saying to myself, you know, somebody somewhere is going to like me for who I am and how I show up and I have value. And I didn't know those words back then, but I knew there was something, if I just kept at it, I would learn it. So that was the first thing. And then I think the second thing is the podcast. I found podcasts in 2014, 2015, and I dabbled in them a little bit, listening to them. And I just kept thinking like, oh, I could do better than that. That's when you know there's something you have to do. When you look at yeah. that or listen to that and say, I could do that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I went to the YouTube and was like, there's nothing you can't learn on the internet. Yeah. And I'm pretty resourceful and I'm I'm happy to Mac tack it together. I knew it didn't need to be perfect. The last company I worked for in 2017, one of the guys I worked with had said to me, we're going to do a podcast. Do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, yeah. And so he actually taught me how to do it. And we were doing it under the company brand. We only did three episodes, which is the norm. Most people fizzle out after three or four. And I remember being like, oh, I love this. Like there's an intentional place. There's a container. I'm not in your face. You have to choose to come and listen to me. I loved that model of I'm here for whoever wants to listen. I have something to offer. I have something to teach. And it was the perfect complement to social media. Because it was very clear to me that social media was the head of the funnel. Here's the the surprise and delight and the the intrigue and the, the questioning and the reflection, but here's the deeper work here. And so we did these few episodes and I listened back to it and I was like, oh my God, I sound really smart. <laughs> and just like, just shit people don't say to themselves, but I was yeah. like surprised and delighted at, I actually do have some things to say, which validated my constant feeling of, I don't fit in. And yet I do fit in here. I fit into this world very well. And so he loaned me his microphone. And at the time I was doing a blog, which was just, I didn't even know how to blog. And I was doing a blog about health and weight loss. And he was like, you know, you can monetize this. And I kind of rolled my eyes at him. And he was like, you should do a podcast about this. Like you could, you could really own this platform. 
And so I dabbled in that for a while. And my first podcast was called How to Keep the Weight Off because everyone only talks about how to lose weight. And there was no one in the market talking about maintenance. And so I talked about that. And that brought all the boys to the yard. And people (laughs) who listened to that podcast five years ago are listening to my podcast now, which is about something completely different. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew when I could see people follow me through the journey it didn't matter what I was talking about. They liked me and they liked learning from me. And I have a very critical thinking brain and I question and I shoot holes and stuff all the time. And so that's how I come at a lot of this. And so, yeah, it was a colleague's idea. And I was like, okay, if you think I can do it, I'll do it. And you just sometimes just need someone to tell you it's okay to try. And he did. And I did. And here we are. (laughs) And we're so glad you did. Okay. Before we go, you do have a freebie that people can go to your website mm-hmm. and download. But before we talk about that, can you tell me a time when you did something on social media that didn't work out the way you thought it was going to, that maybe was quote unquote a fail and how you dealt with that and how you recovered from it or what you learned from it? Oh God, I want to say every day. Like there's strategy, there's planning, there's content writing, and then there's execution. And I think. As a whole, the reason I've been able to move so quickly is I am paying attention to the problem, being flexible on the solution. And I have brought products to market and people are like, "Mm -mm, no. And it's because I wasn't listening enough to my customer. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you the story of how I started this business. And the way I describe it is this version of my business, because I've been a full-time entrepreneur supporting myself for over five years now. Mm -hmm. And This version of my business came about when I was running a company called How to Stop Quitting, ironically. I was doing a podcast called How to Stop Quitting, and I had a program called How to Stop Quitting. I was offering, I think it was like 97 bucks a month, and it was a membership program. All the things I hate and just was doing all the things that I thought I needed to do, even though I knew better. And I was selling this program for $97 a month, and there was two or three people in it. And I was getting to the point where like the money was running out. And so I did one big push, one final big push for how to stop quitting. And nobody signed up. Those videos are still floating around Facebook because I've grandfathered my Facebook page over the years. And if you scroll to the bottom, you can see the many iterations of Heather just figuring it out on the internet. I made the very conscious decision to not delete those because I think that tells its own story of growth and iteration. But in those early years, I spent a lot of time thinking I knew what was going on and I didn't, but I was doing it anyway. But that final push resulted in no dollars, no sales. At the time, the pandemic was just coming down the line pretty hard. And I had an American Express card and I maxed it out to take a program, bet on me and figure it out. It wasn't until I spent another big chunk of money. So I spent 18,000 US dollars on that first program and then 5,000 US dollars on a second program. And I was bringing in $300 a month. I was just like going for broke because I was like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out how to help these people. I know I can, even though I wasn't figuring it out myself, that those two thoughts were not even in my mind. I never had the thought just because I'm not doing it doesn't mean I can't help people. It really was about learning. And so that, yeah, that final push on Instagram and Facebook was was difficult for me because that was the moment of, am I done? Like, am I done? And my friend, my best friend, I just spent a week with her in the mountains last week. 
she was like, look, I'm just going to, I'm going to hire you and I'm going to pay you a salary and you're going to keep working on your business. You're not going to work for me, but I'm going to pay you as an employee so you can keep working on your business. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, can you imagine have someone believe in you like that? And mm-hmm. you're at your lowest and you're like, I have $300 in the bank. I just maxed out my American Express card and my visa. And I still don't know what I'm doing. And this friend was like, I'm just going to pay you because you're going to, you're going to make it. You're going to figure it out. And that was the biggest takeaway was like that that campaign was terrible. That launch was terrible. I made $300, which is great, but it's not 18 grand. And I got to pay back 18 US dollars now, which when the conversion was done, all said and done, it was 40,000 Canadian that I had invested in one year and was making $300 a month. And so for her to call me and say, look, I'm just going to pay you so you can keep doing this. I was like, okay, no, I'm going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it was in that second program. I was surrounded by entrepreneurs and I was still pushing how to stop quitting. I was there to learn how to sell, how to stop quitting. The container for that program was about messaging. And I looked around at a room full of 25 women entrepreneurs and none of them had anything to sell attached to that message. And I was like, what? What? you're not going to teach us how to do this. Okay. I'll teach them. And my first clients came from that program, right from that program into mine. I built it while I was still there. I built it in a couple of weeks. And that came from that failure of people don't want what I have. What do they want? And that was where that came from. Wow. That's a pretty big vulnerable fail when it's out there and and nobody's signing up. And I think we've all probably, I know I've had that same situation where I push something out and nobody signs up. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, but it's part of it, right? Like Mm -hmm. now I have no shame around it because all it means is I just have to fix something. You know, that's it. It's just information. But even then the ability to say, okay, you, you have to go in a different direction. And I think that is difficult for entrepreneurs too, especially where we live such public lives on social media. And I remember when I was making that transition, I posted five or six days in a row, just this image, this very flowery image. And I just kept saying, think big, move fast. And I was, I always say like, I move faster than my fear. And I just kept posting these things. Like I'm showing up different. When you see me next time, it will be different. And I got message after message after message from people being like, what's going on? And I was like, no, I'm just, I'm putting my head down and I'm doing this. I can't listen to anything because I'm on the brink. (laughs) Like I'm either I'm out or I'm going all in. And I played that out on social media for a few days. And when I showed back up, I had this new business and this new program and I made no apology for it. And I didn't even explain it. I was just like, here's what we're doing, boys. This is it. And I did all the things I'm probably not supposed to do on social media, but it became a platform for being strong for other entrepreneurs who back themselves into corners just trying to do good and then having businesses that weren't working, but were afraid to quit it because my message was always don't quit. The irony of it was I had to give that up to get this. And I think we're afraid of that. We keep pushing down the line, hoping it's going to change, you know, but when you're faced with $40,000 in debt and you get $300 in the bank and your friends like, let me pay you, you realize like you have to make some changes. And it was just the most exciting thing because I could see how I could help. And it was no longer about, you know, trying to get people to pay attention to me. It was about, I just showed up and I told people what I did and they needed it. And it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Social media has totally changed for me because now I know what I'm saying when I show up because I'm all, I'm not focused on myself anymore. 
don't even care. It's not about me anymore. It's all about them. And that was a big, the big difference. And that is the philosophy of Flossum right there in a nutshell. <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about yeah. you. It's about your people and how you can serve them. Yeah. And that's your message and your content is more important than the way you look or yeah. the background or the sound or exactly. any of that. Yeah. All right. So tell us about this free workbook that you have on your website. Yeah. So it's just heatherdevoe.com. Mm -hmm. And the workbook is called Building Your Authority Platform. It is a three-part workbook. The first part is identifying which content goes in your online course. The second part is identifying which content goes into your podcast or blog, which are interchangeable. I think if you have a podcast, it's basically a blog. And I think if you have a blog, it's basically a podcast. And it's just an outlet for people to get your information. And then what goes into your book? And the way that I break this down is that action goes in the course, high level what goes in the podcast or blog, theory and research goes in the book. You pay for the how. That's how I break it down. And so that's what the workbook is. So if you're sitting there and you have all this subject matter expertise in your brain, which I know everybody does, and you're overwhelmed by it, which is one of the number one problems my clients have is they have too much information to share. They don't know where to start. This simple workbook will allow you to break down what is your action pieces, what are your high level what pieces, and then what is your research and theory that you want to share. And then it shows you very clearly the containers for those pieces of information. So you can start making decisions about what are you going to create first. And hopefully it's an online course, but that's not <laughs> the right decision for everybody. And not everybody should have an online course and new business owners shouldn't have an online course. <laughs> well, that's one I wish we had more time to dig into. New business owners should not start with an online course. No, no. We'll just you we'll know leave it there. First. We'll maybe come back yeah. and talk about that another time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think you had a lot of experience to offer to our listeners about how to be Flossom and how to learn from past learning opportunities, mistakes, and just follow your guide and follow your dreams. And and I'm yeah. so excited that we're now friends. I, yes, me too. I, I think we get along really well. So I think so too. Yes. I think this is going to be great. So thanks it's done for now. It's done. It's done. We're best friends now. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me and sharing your stories. Thank you, Anita. If all of this social media strategizing and planning sounds overwhelming to you, remember the first rule of being Flossom. Take imperfect action. You are good enough, so just get started or ask for help. Did you know that I offer VIP no BS planning days? Sometimes you just need someone to get you started. I know I feel that way about things that are not my specialty. I just told a data specialist the other day that I needed him to set things up and then I'll be okay to maintain it. If you're feeling like that with social media, a VIP day might be just the thing to move your social media presence forward. You'll virtually walk away with everything you need to manage your own social media marketing or to hand it over to a virtual assistant, including a written strategy, a tactical plan for a whole year. Now, normally I charge $2,500 for this service and I only set aside three days per month for this. But since you're a loyal podcast subscriber, if you plug in the code BFLOSSOM, you'll receive a 10% discount. So go right now to twerp.ca slash VIP to get all the details. Hmm.